You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come to worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Merry Christmas, City on a Hill. Hope and pray you are keeping well. Uh, wonderful that you could tune in with us wherever you are, uh, in Melbourne, across Australia, indeed around the globe. Love you guys and wonderful that we could join with millions of people around the world to celebrate that very moment that God stepped onto the stage of human history. You know, here at City on Hill, we believe Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. So very thankful that we get this opportunity to dive into God's word and celebrate Jesus. 
You know, a few months ago, um, my wife had this great idea of putting up the Christmas tree early, right? By show of emojis, who uh, likes to get the decorations up early, right? We, we got in really, really early. I mean, tradition says you're not supposed to put your tree up until December. Uh, it was like early November, uh, when Ness, my wife, said, let's put the tree up and, and let's make it a special family moment. You know, no phones, no distractions. We're all there helping out together. And so we went into the room and we got the, it's one of those plastic trees, you know, with the kind of color coded and you got to match it all up together. And so we go into this room, we dust off the Christmas tree box and we bring the kids on in and we invite their, their help. And, and at first, I've got to tell you, it's, it's perfect. I put on Mariah Carey's Christmas album. Lily, my youngest daughter, who was so excited about putting up the tree, is, is dancing around the room like a little princess. I think that's what that was supposed to indicate, dancing across the room. And, and all the kids, right? I've got four kids. All the kids are playing their part. They're helping out. I think to myself, this is a Christmas miracle, right? I'm a good dad. We're a great family. This is going to be a great Christmas. But as I'm placing the final branch, you know, on the top of the tree, uh, I notice something's wrong. You know, the top of the tree is supposed to have the bit where you have the smallest branches, and yet all I've got left are these humongous sized branches. And it turns out that someone in the process uh, hadn't been following the instructions, at which point the branches for the whole tree just start getting pulled off and thrown back down to the bottom, and we're going to start all over and again. And I I don't know if there's a time limit to Christmas fun, uh, but as the branches came off, we each in our own way lost our Christmas cheer. We started bickering uh, about which piece goes next and who was responsible for stuffing it up in the first place. One of our kids grabbed my phone and just sits in the corner and just starts playing with that. Mariah Carey's album got exchanged for Eminem. Uh, then Zach, my eldest son, steps on Jacob. Jacob steps on Summer. And Ness and I, oh, we were frustrated. Frustrated our kids, frustrated our parenting, frustrated at this stupid plastic tree that wouldn't do what we wanted it to do. And as all of this is happening, I see Lily, who's five, burst out in tears and run to her room. I'm like, what happened? Did she step on an elf? Why is she crying? I go to her room and I see she's curled up uh, under her little doona crying, right? And tears are always sad, let's be honest, but tears of a five-year-old little girl, oh, breaks your heart. What's wrong, sweetie, I say. Her little head peeks out over from under the doona, tears in her eyes. She says, I wanted Christmas to be special. Lily, I'm sorry. We've been a bit grumpy, haven't we? She nods and says, I wanted Christmas to be special. And so I say, well, Lily, there, there's still time to make this good. I've got an idea. How about we pray? And so I sit on a little bed and I pray. I say, God, help us to be nicer to each other. Help us to be patient. Help us to make it special. Help us to get this tree up. And as I finish my prayer, Lily stretches out her little hand and says, Dad, can you please pray that it would be just like the first Christmas? The first Christmas when Jesus was born and everyone was happy. 
And in that moment, I think a piece of my heart just snapped off (laughs) because I was reminded just how far we were from what she had hoped and imagined, what she believed Christmas was going to be all about. And so we prayed and we went backstairs, downstairs, and we tried again. Thankfully, praise God, we had a great night. The tree went up. (laughs) I wanted to share that little moment with you because I suspect that we're not alone. In a year of frustration, where our life and plans have not been as we'd imagined, what better place to go than the thrill, the wonder, and the glory of that first Christmas? If you have a Bible handy, love you to go and grab it and come with me to our reading, Matthew chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, he says this, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship. Now, as you read that, let me ask this. What do you see at that first Christmas? Two observations. To begin, I want you to see that the first Christmas was both historical and supernatural. It's historical and supernatural. So I remember as a kid uh, being captured by the magic of Christmas. I loved Christmas, sitting on my bed, you know, looking out the window with my torch on Christmas Eve, hoping to see Santa and the reindeers going through the night sky. I also remember the time that I met the real Santa Claus, right? He was at Doncaster Shopping Centre and I got to sit on his lap as a nine-year-old kid and I remember him looking me in the eyes and he says, I bet you want a computer for Christmas. And I did want a computer for Christmas and I raced to my mum and I said, that's the real Santa Claus, right? Um, Of course, as we mature, we learn that the magic of Santa isn't always as it seems. When it comes to the story of Christmas, and in particular the birth of Jesus, perhaps it is that you have felt the same way. Maybe, as a child, you can recall uh, sitting at Sunday school, hearing of God's Son entering the world, and you heard of the virgin birth and the chorus of angels, and And you felt a sense of wonder and awe in the the magic of it all. But perhaps as you grew older, some of the wonder began to fade. Perhaps you began to question whether the birth of Jesus was was nothing more than fiction, a nice and and cute story, but nothing more than make-believe. But of course, the big problem with that is that when you read the story of the first Christmas, you soon discover that the gospel writers are not writing myth or legend. They're actually describing real events involving real people at a very real time in history. For example, did you notice Matthew says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, right? Jesus wasn't born in a galaxy far, far away. He was born in a real town with real people that you can visit today. Likewise, Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. 
right? Now, Herod is not some made-up character. Herod was real. He was appointed by Rome to serve as the king of Judea in 37 BC, and his rule is well documented in and outside the Bible. All of which to say there are markers all the way through the Gospels that ground Jesus and the events surrounding Jesus in history. The other point I want you to note is the evidence of inconvenient truth, right? So the Bible is, is full of people and events that you simply would not include if you were trying to fabricate a story. For example, did you notice Matthew's inclusion of the wise men, right? You got to ask the question, who are the wise men? In the original text, they're called the Magi, which is the word, the root word for magician. Now, when you hear the word magician, you probably think of a guy pulling a rabbit out of a hat or doing a card trick. But in the first century, a magician was someone who practiced sorcery, right? They, they, they studied the stars, Right? They basically the modern age equivalent of, I don't know, a new ager from Byron Bay. Right? Happy pants, smoking weed, reading tarot, watching stranger things, they're that guy. And commentators will tell you that all over the Bible, people involved in the dark arts are never talked about positively. In fact, they're often condemned. So you have to ask yourself why Matthew, this devout Jewish Christian, would write a story where some of the first witnesses on the scene are three pagans from Byron. To the ancient world, that is a whole lot of red flags. So why write them in? It seems that the most likely reason that Matthew included them in the story is because they were there. It's not convenient. It's not how a religious person would have written it, but it's true. In his book, Did Jesus Exist? Uh, Bart Ehrman writes, I'm not a Christian, but as a historian, I think evidence matters and the past matters. And for anyone to whom both evidence and the past matters, a dispassionate consideration of the case makes it quite plain, Jesus did exist. The first Christmas is historical, but it must also be said that it is supernatural. Did you notice what the wise men said? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw this star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, over the years, a lot of speculation about this star that they saw. Some you know, think it may have been a comet. Um, others have suggested that it was a convergence of two planets, a big theory that came out in the 17th century about these two planets that came together at this moment in time, right? And while it's, you know, fascinating, interesting to consider theories like that, I believe the main reason Matthew points our attention to the star is not primarily to give you a lesson on astronomy, but to help you realize that the birth of Jesus was accompanied by the supernatural, the bright star, uh, the virgin birth, the chorus of angels are lifting our eyes to something beyond this world. You say, Guy, isn't that all a little bit (laughs) far-fetched? And in a sense, you're right. 
the virgin birth, the star, is outside the normal. It's what the Bible calls a miracle. A miracle is that which disrupts the natural order. It it challenges the the paradigm, the normal paradigm of, of human experience. And while you may not consider yourself a religious person, the truth is, religious or not, we, listen, we all believe in in miracles. Um, Consider for a moment the miracle of our universe. Um, Do you ever look at the stars at night and wonder how the heck it all came into existence? On a clear night, And if it's clear where you are, let me encourage you to go out and just look at the stars, right? Because on a clear night, you can see, what, I don't know, a few hundred sparkling stars above. And yet, of course, you and I know that we are only looking at one galaxy among a hundred billion more galaxies. How do you explain that? Either... You see all that creativity and complexity and say there must be someone behind this, a powerful, creative, intelligent designer. Or you look at the same night sky and say it's nothing but the result of a random collision of atoms that came from nothing at some unknown point of time in a reality where there wasn't time. Either way, we're all standing in the presence of a miracle. And what about life itself? I'm the father of four kids. Jimmy Gaffigan says, if you want to know what it's like to have four children, just imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby, right? Being a dad can be overwhelming. But sometimes I I find myself gripped by the miracle of it all, right? When you go to the hospital and... um, They do the ultrasound, they put the jelly on Vanessa's tummy and they put the camera and they give you a window into it, a window into the mystery, the wonder, right? I mean, just looking at that image now, that's 12, that's my youngest daughter, 12 weeks in the womb and see the little hands and feet taking shape and wriggling around as she floats around in the womb. 12 weeks old and already I can hear her little heartbeat. How do you explain something as beautiful and complex as human life? Now, I know Ness and I played a part, but can any of us truly claim to be the author of life? Can any of us hold a child in our arms and say that miracles don't exist? Now, there have been many times in my life where I've wanted to ignore and even deny the transcendent. Times where I want to explain away the miracles of this life. But as I come back to the wonder of life and the the splendor, the, the glory of this universe we are in, I see too many signs, too many stars that point me to something or someone greater than myself. The Bible makes the bold claim that that someone is God. Powerful, intelligent, creative God. A God who flung the stars into space and gave you life. This Christmas is historical, but also supernatural. 
The second observation here is that the first Christmas is both predicted and unexpected. It's predicted and unexpected. Many things in life that are predictable. Uh, delays in the city loop in Melbourne, predictable. The end of every Marvel movie, predictable. A sermon with three points and a quote by C.S. Lewis, predictable. Then there are things that are unexpected. Uh, a week of blue skies in Melbourne, unexpected. Heading to a shopping mall at Christmas and finding a car park, unexpected. Going to a clinic to get my vaccine shot and being asked by the guy at the desk if I was pregnant, unexpected. True story, unexpected. Or what about the woman who gave birth in a taxi and no named the child Uber? Unexpected. Well, which is it for Jesus? Was Jesus predicted or unexpected? Well, it's clear from our reading that few expected God's king would come, would be born in Bethlehem, right? Uh, for those of you not familiar, Bethlehem was like out of the way, a little uninteresting, ignored. Um, maybe it's the modern day equivalent of, I don't know, Dandenong, Sydney, right? You get the point. But it wasn't just that he came from Bethlehem. It was also his family that was quite unexpected, right? He wasn't born in a castle amongst royalty. Jesus was born to a pair of average Joes who struggled through life like everybody else. And what about the people that Jesus spent his days with? In the ancient world, much like ours, those of power and importance were expected to keep company with the famous and the, and the wealthy and the prestigious. That's where they would spend their time. Where do you find Jesus? You find Jesus wrapped in rags and staying in a cheap motel. You find Jesus on street corners talking with beggars. You find Jesus sharing meals with sex workers and sinners. And isn't it just the, it isn't just the life of Jesus, which is unexpected, but also his death, strung up on a Roman cross, nailed among thieves and traitors. In Matthew's gospel, we're told that the guards nailed a sign above his head with the inscription, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. That's ironic because this was the exact same declaration made by the three wise men at the birth of Jesus. And yet, at his death, the guards put it up to mock him. Why? Because no one expects a real king to suffer such a humiliating and tragic death. Jesus is very much unexpected. But it must also be said that while much of Jesus' life and death is unexpected, when you look closely at the first Christmas, you soon see it was very much promised and predicted. Right? When Herod, King Herod, hears of Jesus' birth, what does he do? He gathers the religious leaders to find out where he is born. And, and where do those religious leaders go? Where do they go to locate the birth of Jesus? Well, let's look in verse 4. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, that's Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know what this is? This is a prophecy given by God to a man who existed, can you believe it, 700 years before Christ. And as you look at this prophecy, not only locate where Jesus was born, but you get a sense of the kind of king he would be, right? You might even want to underscore in your Bible that the word shepherd, right? For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. In the ancient world, a shepherd, they were known for their care and their intimacy, the care and intimacy that they had with their their sheep. The the, the shepherd knew their sheep. The shepherd uh, would lead the sheep, lead them to uh, uh, clear waters and and shade from the, the harsh sun. And then at night, he would be there to protect the sheep from all the evil and danger and thieves and the robbers. What do you think it means then when God says to you that Jesus came to be a ruler who will shepherd his people. It means that his rule will not only be one of power and glory, but intimacy and love. Jesus himself says to you, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And note these words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, last Thursday, I, uh, I rode into, city, into the city and it was a dream ride. Uh, in fact, it was so good, I took a photo and you can see it there. Beautiful day in Melbourne. Um, and then I had a perfect day uh, with our staff team as we opened the doors to a new office. We've got a new office. And, you know, we've been in this office that had no natural light. And for the last 12 months, we had no air conditioning. And so coming to a new office with cool air and windows felt like we crossed the River Jordan and made the promised land. And yet it didn't take long to be reminded of the realities of this world. Uh, after spending some time with the team, standing with them in prayer and committing the space to God, I, I go downstairs at the end of the day to discover that my bike was gone. I thought I'd been pranked by one of the staff members who'd hit it somewhere, but turns out I'd legitimately been robbed. Someone had come in, taken my bike, and now she is gone. Two days later, Alice, who's on our staff team, she works as my EA, uh, arrives up to our office and getting out of the car, she discovers that the door is ajar. And as she gets back into her car, and the moment she gets back in her car, she sees through a rear vision mirror, a guy coming out of the office fleeing the scene. Turns out she just pulled up mid-stride of a robbery that was taking place. The guy got away with a little bit, but most of it was still inside, you know, upstairs and secure. And so we all breathed a sigh of relief. The cops came, the door is secured, and we thought, awesome. Next morning, as I'm getting up to preach a sermon on Jehu and God's judgment against evil, I see a text on Alice's phone. We've been robbed again. This time, they've taken the lot. 
I put my arm around Alice. I can see tears welling up in her eyes and I, and I feel the angst and the heartbreak of it all. Uh, after our services, I was in Melbourne Central and I zoomed in uh, on my laptop uh, to some of our staff who'd gone to the scene of the crime just to kind of see what had happened. And it was just an opportunity for me to connect with them and talk about next steps and really, to be honest, just to pray with them and just to be reminded that we worship a good God and He loves us and we're to pray for our enemies and we've got to trust in this moment that you know God works all things together for our good and so we prayed together. And I kid you not, no sooner did I finish that meeting uh, that I looked down uh, from my laptop and see that my backpack had been stolen. Right? They didn't take my, they didn't get my laptop because that was in front of me. And I had my phone right next to me there. My wallet was in my back, in my back pocket. But somehow my backpack had disappeared. Either it got raptured, which is saying something, or someone had swooped in while I was having this conversation about this, this theft. Uh, in the end, the bag didn't have much in it. My keys, my Bible, and a sermon on the judgment of God. So who knows where that sermon is today. Um, now, listen, we got insurance and so most of these things are all going to be sorted. But when you piece those things together, one after the other, it just felt like the perfect way to cap off what has been a wild year. All right. And, and, and listen, as Christians, no matter what your experience has been this year, it's okay to lament. You know, whether you lose your bike or 80 grand's worth of gear, it's right to shed a few tears after what has been a challenging time for us all. But here is what is unique. Here is what I want you, wherever you are right now, to know and to feel and to embrace. That no matter what trial you've walked through this year, no matter what difficulty you've endured in your home or in your heart, as Christians, our sorrow is never without hope. Because as Christians, we remember that our hope is not in the things of this world. It's not in this world at all. Our hope is in Jesus, the shepherd king. The thief, he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He wants to rob you of whatever hope you have. But Jesus comes to give life. Not a cheap life, not a flimsy life, but a life abounding in hope, glory, goodness, and grace. Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. You know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, almost everyone thought the story was over. Whatever hope they thought they had, gone. Because no one expected Jesus to rise. No one expected the son of a carpenter born from Bethlehem of a virgin mum to defeat the grave. No one expected that. And yet the witness of scripture and history and human experience testify that this same Jesus who was put to death rose to life. Jesus rose physically. Jesus rose historically. Jesus rose supernaturally. Jesus rose victoriously. What was promised by God, unexpected by man, was fulfilled in Jesus, your shepherd king. 
What does that mean? It means, listen, disease and death will not have the final word. It means that loss and disappointment will not rule forever. And it means that right now, because of Jesus and his life, death and resurrection, you too can be lifted up into God's faith, hope and love. Do you know that yesterday I was down at Middle Park Beach in Melbourne, entering into the waters of baptism um, with, with a handful of people from City on a Hill, Melbourne, men and women who in the midst of the fray and mess of this year have seen the glory of Jesus and have said yes to him. They've said yes to his life. They've said yes to his love. And they've said yes to, to following and pursuing after him. What about you? What about you this Christmas? I want you, wherever you are, whoever you're with right now, to consider your response to Jesus this first Christmas. Because when I look at the first Christmas, I see people having different responses to Jesus. You have Herod, the evil and narcissistic king. He doesn't welcome God's saviour. He sees Jesus as a threat to his power and platform. It's not that he doesn't believe in Jesus. He just sees Christ as a challenge to his own reign and rule, right? This is the guy or girl who doesn't want to surrender anything to Jesus. This is the guy or girl who wants to keep Jesus at arm's length. They will do anything and everything to keep their control. And you need to know that's the response of a fool. Because in trying to control they miss out on the wonder and joy of life and love that God's King, Jesus Christ, has come to bring this Christmas. Then you have the response of the religious leaders. The priests in Matthew's gospel know exactly who this child is. They're seeing the prediction fulfilled right before their very eyes. And what do they do? They do nothing. They don't follow the star. They don't grab their things and rush to Bethlehem. They just quote a few Bible verses and then just stay put at the side of Herod the king. And it's their response that I believe is the most perplexing because on the outside, the religious people appear righteous. They do a lot of talking about God. They know the Bible and they're good people. And yet underneath the robes of religion lurks the same idol of power and pride. Herod abuses his position with violence and fear. The religious abuse their position with rules and control. But both are controlled by self. Both are consumed by their own position. And in the end, both will not surrender to the glory of Christ. You might consider yourself today to be religious you might value the traditions of Christmas and a good life is what you want for yourself and your family and you hang your hat on that. But I must warn you that Jesus didn't come to be part of your religion. He didn't come to keep you on the straight and narrow. Jesus came to rescue you from sin. Jesus came to redeem you from all the brokenness and darkness of this world. Jesus came to establish his kingdom and call you to himself. And where do we see that? We see this in the wise men, don't we? 
The wise men are not who we'd expect at Christmas. They don't come with the religious pedigree or the perfect records. They don't have it all together. And yet upon seeing the star, they drop everything to see Jesus. And did you see what they do when they enter in, when they come in the presence of Jesus? Matthew says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The word worship is not very common today, is it? But it expresses this deep feeling of reverence and adoration, the thrill of hope, the experience of love, the joy of happiness, the happiness of joy. Is that where your heart is today? Are you captured by the joy of Jesus? Are you seeing the beauty of Jesus? Are you marveling at His glory and love? I'm not asking if you have a perfect life. I'm not asking if your life is free from difficulty and doubt. I'm asking if you're surrendering surrendering your all to Him. If you're surrendering your life to him, then you are the man, the woman, the guy, the girl who is putting Jesus first and trusting his promises. You're seeking to live a life where you're looking less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus. You're seeking to be secure in his love and stand strong in his hope, knowing with full confidence that no matter what this Christmas may bring, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here and you know of Jesus, but he's never truly been yours. You've stood from a distance. You haven't entered in. You haven't come before him in worship. Maybe you're tuning in and there was a time where Jesus was your everything. But this year, with all the disappointments, with all the distractions, with all the uncertainty and heartbreak, you lost sight of what truly matters and you drifted and you got distracted. Today is the day to come home to Jesus. Christmas is about God's goodness. Christmas is about God's unexpected grace. Christmas is about seeing the star and pursuing after Jesus and worshipping him. I want to give you an opportunity right now, wherever you are, to respond to Jesus, to surrender yourself to him, to receive the fullness of God's goodness and life right now. And so what I thought would be helpful for us to do is is to pray together. Um, I've sketched out a a pretty simple prayer and uh, I'm going to leave space in my prayer for you to echo them. You might want to say them out loud wherever you are. You might want to echo them in your heart. In the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because it's a prayer between you and God. And it's an opportunity, particularly for those of us who who are wanting to trust Jesus, surrender our life to Jesus for the very first time. So wherever we are, let's, let's go to God now in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus, my King. Thank you that he came to rescue me. 
I'm sorry I've not always put Jesus first in my life. I'm sorry that I've ignored you. This Christmas, I'm entering in. This Christmas, I turn to Christ. This Christmas, I receive his grace. I now ask that you help me. Help me to trust, follow and worship Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, um, I'd love you to, um, uh, in, the, in, in the chat, uh, write the word yes or click raise a hand. Just something to signify that you've prayed that prayer with me just now. Uh, so that we, because we, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to help you in, in, in what it looks like to, to follow Jesus. You know, the Bible says that when anyone puts their trust in Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so right now, wherever you are, uh, you could join me in clap. You could put a, uh, an encouraging emoji in the chat because I can trust, I, I trust in faith that right now people are giving their life to Jesus. Might be happening in Melbourne, around Australia, around the world, but I tell you, I, in faith, people are giving their life to Jesus. And, and if that's you, we want to get around you. We want to support you. We want to encourage you. Uh, City on a Hill, I love you. Uh, it's been uh, a year of God's goodness and grace. We're in this together and we're doing it for His glory. Love you guys and I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.